0: The title of the sermon is A Community of Restoration, Part 2. I like puzzles. I mean, I'm not like crazy about puzzles. I'm not a fanatic or anything. If you come over to my house, you're not going to find random puzzle pieces stuffed in the sofa cushions or poking out from under the rug. But I enjoy doing a good puzzle every once in a while. In college, I think I did a total of one puzzle, my roommate and I watched uh, football all weekend, and we worked on this particular puzzle, and I still remember it. It was the prized possession of our common room, Jimi Hendrix, playing a guitar in all of his glory. I don't particularly like Jimi Hendrix. I just thought it was cool, and every once in a while, I like a good puzzle. Now, I suppose you're wondering, what has gotten into Pastor John? Is he going to give us a long lecture about puzzles, or is he going to give us a particular puzzle to figure out? Nope. I just wish to tell you a fact about myself. You now know me better as a person than you did just a few moments ago, and I desperately wish to know more about each one of you. If I have learned anything this week that I wish to share as a lesson, it is that we must remember our humanity. God made us to be in relationships with one another. He has given us so many beautiful things to enjoy, and not just to enjoy in isolation, but with other people. God made us to be in relationships. One novice philosopher attempted to make an argument stating that relationships are the foundation of all things. Well, I don't think I would go that far, but relationships are the foundational element of our humanity. At creation, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. That wasn't only for Adam and Eve, but that was a principle for all human beings. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you to share your life with other people. Even in tragedy, we are still human beings. So remember your humanity, but remember the entirety of your humanity. We are broken. The largest puzzle I have ever completed is 2,000 pieces. Once you break through the ceiling of a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle, you should get a t-shirt or your picture on the wall of the Puzzle Hall of Fame, kind of like that guy from Man vs. Food who crushed all those eating challenges and probably has really high cholesterol. The 2,000-piece puzzle is currently in my living room. My wife and I still have great conversations about it. When we were putting it together, I wanted to throw this puzzle out the window. It seemed impossible to finish. Time seemed to stop when I was working on it, but thankfully, my wife kept me grounded. She kept me going. I'm thankful for my wife for many reasons, but I'm glad that she helped me persevere through this 2,000-piece puzzle. I'm very glad for my wife. She's been an anchor to me. So I commend your family to you. Press into your family, especially your church family, but of course, your biological family. I have not attempted another puzzle since the 2,000-piece puzzle, but I have my sights set on another one. It's kind of like my white whale that Ahab was chasing after. It is a 4,000-piece puzzle, and the title of it is Adam, based on our first ancestor Adam from Genesis 1. This puzzle is a mosaic with many different faces all forming together to make one larger face representing Adam. I believe there are about 20 small faces in the puzzle. Each face represents a different demographic or of nationality, skin color, hair color, eye color, but no bald people if you're wondering. If I remember correctly, I think there is one woman's hair that kind of goes up and connects with another man's shoulder, And together, they form the ear of Adam. And I remember that there's this one man with a big cheesy, teethy smile, and it looks a little bit odd until you adjust your focus. And then you realize that this smile is also Adam's eye. I want to do this puzzle because I think it's cool. But like the Jimi Hendrix puzzle, I certainly do not agree with everything that this puzzle is communicating. I believe the Adam puzzle is trying to convey a picture of harmony. Everyone came from Adam, so we should just get along with one another. No more wars, no more fighting, and no more poverty. Well, this would be fabulous, wouldn't it? Now, don't get me wrong, I would certainly sign up to eradicate any of these things or any of these problems. But it is an inaccurate expectation. If we like Adam in Genesis 1 and 2, where we find him at creation, we must continue to chapters 3 and 4 where we see Adam fall, where we see humanity break, like the teapot I told you about last week. We see humanity break physically, mentally, spiritually, and, of course, relationally. Adam's own children did not have harmony. If Adam's own sons did not get along, what chance do we have at finding harmony looking to our first man, Adam? Do you think nations and strangers can be at harmony when sons cannot? It is not enough to remember our humanity, for that will only leave us disappointed. We must remember that our humanity has fallen if we want to see the whole picture. I suppose a better puzzle for representing humanity's potential harmony would be one that was titled, The New Adam. This is a term that St. Paul uses for Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great passage of scripture clearly states the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to our scriptures. However, if I were to give a name for this puzzle, I think I would use a slightly different title. I think I would turn over to 2 Corinthians, particularly chapter 5, and I would title the puzzle, The Reconciler. God reconciles the world to himself through Jesus Christ. This puzzle would truly show people coming together through the power of the cross. Unlike the Adam puzzle, the Reconciler puzzle would need far more than 4000 pieces. I suspect even 4 million pieces and 400,000 faces would not be large enough to show the graces of Jesus Christ working in humanity. In St. John's Gospel, he concludes his gospel by stating that the world itself could not contain enough books to tell of the greatness of Jesus Christ. So what chance would a puzzle have? But let's return to St. Paul for a moment. He tells us that Jesus reconciles and recapitulates all things in heaven and on earth in himself. This means that all things not only find their place in Christ, but are made perfect through him, in him, and with him. For those who love him, all things work together for good. During a tragedy, Jesus draws people closer to the center of the puzzle. They are closer to his heart. But unlike any puzzle I've ever encountered in a puzzle shop, the center of the Jesus puzzle is unlimited because that is where we find the heart of Christ. And we are always pressing into Christ. We are always satisfied in Christ, but there is always more satisfaction to come, for he is unlimited in his mercies. St. Gregory of Nyssa, who I frequently quote, and not the Gregory I named my son after, is one of my heroes. And he says the unlimitedness of God's greatness can be seen in the picture of Moses on the mountain. Moses only saw the backside of God on the holy mountain and not God's front side. God is infinite and we are always pursuing God. He is always with us, but he is always ahead of us. We are finite. He is infinite. We are limited. He is unlimited. Our understanding is dim, but his is brilliant. When we get a glimpse of just his hind parts, our face glows as Moses' did. We can never exhaust the infinite goodness of God in this life, and not even in the next. But this does not mean that we are not satiated by his goodness now. On the contrary, we are satisfied with him and in him, both now and in the age to come. For eternity, we will journey further up and further in, as C.S. Lewis puts it in his Narnia books. As we go further into the new Narnia, we only enjoy things more. And as we press into Christ, we will only enjoy him more. Always more of him to enjoy, but never unsatisfied. I think the reconciler puzzle would not be would not highlight the differences of humanity, their eye color, their skin color, or even their gender. Rather, those distinctions would slowly fade into the background as people press further and further into their new nature, which St. Paul also addresses in 2 Corinthians. We get a new nature through the cross, through the grace of Jesus Christ. We move from one puzzle to another, from the old man to the new. It is also in 2 Corinthians that we hear Christ's precious words to us. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the verse that one of my dearest professors uses to summarize the gospel. Strength in weakness. On the cross, not only do we understand the nature of God, but you also understand the nature of humanity. For Christ is completely God and completely man, both natures in one person. Humanity, excuse me, and humanity being reconciled to the divine. According to Barth. Christ is the center, is like the center of an hourglass. God is at the top, humanity is at the bottom, and Christ joins them in the center. The weakness of God is strong enough to redeem humanity, but we must be willing to enter into weakness. On the cross, we see humanity's weakness, and we must embrace that weakness so God's power can be manifest in us. We must embrace Christ's death. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient for us. When Paul writes this verse, he recounts a terrible affliction that he is enduring. A messenger from Satan has been afflicting him. He has pleaded with the Lord, yet the affliction remains. God allows people to remain in afflictions so that his power can be made known in them. Not in small measure, but in a perfect measure. Ridgefield Baptist Church. I do not know why we are in this season of affliction, but there are a few things I do know. God's grace is sufficient for all who lean upon Him. His grace is unlimited. Everybody can lean on Him and it will never grow weary. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Yes, I trust everyone will see a therapist, as will I. But Christ is the ultimate therapist and the ultimate healer. I pray that you will pack your schedule daily with appointments with Christ. I believe that God has chosen you, RBC, for a very special task. This is your chance to be weak. The world around you wants power, but Christ wants you to be weak so that he can show you his power. For if you humble yourselves before Christ, you will never be humiliated. Rather, you will be granted power from on high. Press in to his power. St. Paul also tells us in his second letter to the Corinthians, wait, by the way, have you noticed that I keep referring to 2 Corinthians? Of course you have. I know RBC, and I know that you are one of the brightest and smartest congregations I've ever known. Every one of you is among the most talented and the smartest, and now you are among the most humble and the weakest. I suspect that Christ's power is already being manifest in your weakness. I have bragged about you, congregation, to pastors all around the country this week. And I will continue to praise you as long as you continue to cling to Christ in your humility. I am advocating for the book of 2 Corinthians. And I commend it to you as fellow pilgrims. I spoke with many pastors and preachers around the country. No, not that many. I mean, blow that out of proportion. Hey, half a dozen or so. Saying, what would you speak on if you were in my position? Well, they all gave me different chapters. Romans 8, if you want to jot that down for comfort, 1 Thessalonians 4, Colossians 1. But I'm not leaving you with a chapter. I'm commending a whole epistle to you, the epistle of 2 Corinthians. I would love to have you slowly read 2 Corinthians this week. That is why I did not give you any scripture references. I want you to find them in the passage yourself. Read it again and again. Mark up 2 Corinthians. Write your favorite verse on the refrigerator. Use a uh, washable marker and write it on your bathroom mirror. Take a permanent marker and write it on your hand. I know one elder who is already taking the time to read and reread 2 Corinthians 4 over and over again. It's one of the best chapters of sacred scripture. Verse 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to to death. For Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, the life in you. Paul was always being given over to death, that others might live. You right now, congregation, are being given over to a particular type of death. And I praise you for the death and the endurance that you had this last week. You did not fall away, but you were here this morning. And you are joining us online, eating the bread of Christ for food, and drinking his blood rather than the treasures of this world. I will continue to praise you as long as you continue to cling to Christ, for that is what we were made for. You have become softened by your master. The good shepherd needed a firm rod upon us, but you did not run away. Instead, you remained, and you have learned to kiss the hand Of him who has led you into this affliction, because you knew all along that this was from a loving hand. Verse 16 So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as long as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our troubles are too heavy for us, and the thought of them grieves us. Yet St. Paul is telling us that these are light, temporary, momentary afflictions that are preparing us for a purpose. What is that purpose? They are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. You have glory waiting for you, congregation, but it is a heavy glory, the glory of God himself. And right now, all of us are too weak to handle that prize for which we are waiting. You need a firmer foundation to receive such a mansion from your master. Right now is the time to dig deep, to dig a deep foundation with God. Lay your foundation on rock with Christ, and you will receive an abundant reward. It is as if the great gardener has come to us with an invitation. He is willing to remove all of the weeds from our hearts. He is willing to remove all of those dried up and dead branches. Now he is going to dig up the rocks from your soul. He's going to take the hard soil and make it fertile. He's going to make us soft and fresh so that new life can sprout and flourish. There is a bountiful harvest in the distance. Maybe it's a long distance away, but I say the longer the better. For the longer we suffer, the greater the glory we will receive one day. Why do you want to stop the pain? Why do you want to get out of the refiner's fire early? If a lump of dirty gold was cut from a mountain and knew the potential of glory that it could have if it went through a fire, it would not ask that its time in the fire be cut short. It would not ask for the temperature to be decreased. It would cry out, more time in the fire. Turn up the temperature hotter and hotter. Do not keep me from my future glory. Further up and further in into the flame. For the more fire I take on, the brighter I will shine in the ages to come. I will not shine like simple gold, but I will shine like the stars of heaven. Look into the cross and tell your master, I will join you in your pain. Just give me the strength to stand and I will be your suffering body here on earth. Congregation, you will not shine like a human being, but you will shine like the morning star, like the sun itself at high noon. But in the meantime, we will cry out with St. Paul when he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Congregation, though we stand before an evil enemy who wants to throw us into a fire and even increase the furnace seven times hotter. We will not bend the knee to the pleasures of this world, and we will not forsake the hope of the gospel. We will serve our God. We will serve him in the good times, and we will serve him in the bad times. We will even ask that the flame be increased not seven times, but 14 times. RBC, you are like Shadrach. Your church leaders are like Meshach. And the elders are like a Bendigo. Together we have been tossed into the fire. But the flame shall not burn us. Instead you shall find peace in the furnace. You will find solace and comfort. You will find freedom. For the Son of God is with you. The chains of our bondage will be burned off. Do not harden your hearts now. Turn to the Lord. Turn to him like you never have before. The impurities of our old nature are being melted away. Get ready for your glory, church, for you will shine. And in the fire you will be comforted. Second Corinthians opens with these words. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Did you realize that we worship the God of all comfort? We think of him as all-powerful, immutable, and self-sufficient. And yes, he is all of those, but guess what? He's also the God of all comfort, and he's here to comfort you now. It is going to be a long process, but he shows us a glimpse of of the purpose of our temporal suffering. I believe it's verse 3 or 4. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort which we have received, which we ourselves are comforted by Christ, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Like St. Paul's hope for the Corinthians, my hope for you, Ridgefield Baptist Church, is unshaken. Because my hope in the gospel is unshaken, I pray that all of yours is unshaken. Ridgefield Baptist Church, I believe you were chosen for a very special purpose, a mighty, mighty purpose. You will be able to comfort others like you can never imagine. That day may be a long way off, but right now you are Christ's wounded body on earth. You are in the school of Christ. You are being transformed into his image, and one day you will receive a diploma, and then you will be able to comfort others who need it. This is the fire, and he is using it to make us pure. By his wounds you are healed. Now you see those wounds afresh, press into them. Yes, we have been broken, but we will be remade into a new creation, into a more beautiful creation. We may feel like we are shattered pieces, but we are being brought together in Christ. The passage continues. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We must rely on the gospel now more than ever. Rely on Christ. His grace is sufficient for you. And I am completely confident that He is making us into a community of restoration, one that is restored and one that will help restore others. Let us pray. Almighty Father, who alone is the source of all comfort, please comfort us in our affliction, that we may turn to be a comfort to those who are in need. Make us weak, that your power may be perfected in us. Make us weak, that we may survive on your grace, and become a community of restoration, for the community around us. We pray now that you would bless the events this afternoon and tomorrow. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.